Hey everyone, it's Crypto Dancers here. Quick word from our sponsor. Yes, we have a sponsor. It's an independent author named Chris Hannon who's penned an absolute cracker of a novel. It's called Orca Rising and it's the acclaimed first book in a spy thriller trilogy shortlisted for the People's Book Prize. People are comparing it to the likes of Hunger Games and The Maze Runner. If you enjoyed those, you're going to love Orca Rising. So check it out. That's O-R-C-A Rising, Orca Rising on Amazon. And you can also buy it directly from the author himself. That's csjhannon.com slash crypto. C for crypto, S for sugar, J for J, hannon.com slash crypto. And Orca Rising can be yours for just 150,000 sats. Get it now before the price goes up. I'm in before the film writes. Hi, this is William Quigley. Welcome to Crypto and Grill. Welcome back. Let's crypto and grill. As usual, it's Crypto Dantes here, and I'm with Stig of the Pump. Stig, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I've sort of been the last week or so in preparation for this. I've been channeling like my late '90s, early 2000s childhood gaming obsessions, picking up games like Baldur's Gate and Diablo. Um, it's been a lot of fun. There's a ge- there's a really geeky side to me, in case people haven't realised by now. Well, we haven't even introduced our guest yet, but you're you're giving far too many spoilers away. But personally, I'm still recovering from the last session where we were talking about the nature of reality and whether we live in a simulation. So that I'm still struggling from that one. I'm um, yeah, I'm slightly downbeat, and I think we may be living in a simulation. I'm still not sure. But uh, let's move swiftly on. Um, so we have got a fantastic guest today, um, William. It's fantastic to have you here with us. Um, please say hello and introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is William Quigley, and I am the CEO of uh, Opskins and Wax. Excellent. So um, for the uninitiated and for our, our listeners that may not know about Opskins and Wax, um, why don't you take us through what they are? Let's a bit more background about yourself uh, and your and how you got into Opskins and Wax and the relationship between the two organizations would be fantastic. Sure. Well, uh, so I've been a, uh, uh, a venture capitalist for many years. I began my career in a uh, financial services firm, Arthur Anderson, and uh, working in the banking industry. Uh, I then went on to the Walt Disney Company, did a lot of different projects at the Walt Disney Company before I got uh, very excited about the Internet. It was just beginning and seemed like there was a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurship. So I worked with a couple of other guys and we uh, partnered with what was then the first incubator. It was called Idea Lab, a very successful Web 1.0 incubator, probably the most successful incubator. And uh, uh, we had a venture capital fund that would invest alongside what we thought were promising um, incubated projects. And uh, from there, we expanded into many other things, not just internet. Initially, that's what it was, but then ultimately uh, things like payment companies and uh, uh, software companies. And eventually I found my way uh, to uh, the area that I'm very focused on now, which is uh, blockchain and crypto. Um, and there's a nice uh, uh, intersection there between blockchain and crypto um, with what we were doing, my partners and I, Previously, we were spending a lot of time in the video gaming space, and uh, it turns out there's many, many uh, uh, relationships that exist between the video gaming world and and the cryptocurrency and blockchain world. And we were the first, I think, to see that that was maybe the best place to get mass market adoption of uh, of crypto related <clears throat> assets 
crypto-related uh, uh, applications. And so we, uh, uh, we launched Wax to try to uh, kind of bridge the gap between the video gaming world and, uh, and the cryptocurrency world. Okay, fantastic. So, so if we were to start at the beginning then in a gaming context, could you possibly talk us through sort of what a digital asset is, what a skin is, uh, what a digital upgrade is, just to provide some context for the kind of sure. blockchain and gaming? Sure. So, uh, so many people play games now. I think globally it's at least two billion that virtually everybody's going to be familiar with uh, the in-game virtual items those little things that you either win or you pay for uh, to do better in the game. Uh, actually, uh, up until maybe uh, seven or eight years ago, these virtual items uh, were uh, mostly utilitarian, meaning you would use them uh, and acquire them to be able to do something in the game, make you last longer, make you more powerful, whatever it is. Um, about maybe it's eight years ago, but it could be longer, we started to get mainstream adoption of what I call cosmetic items. These are virtual items that have no utility. They're strictly, uh, as the name implies, cosmetic. They, they uh, uh, maybe are a, a piece, a, an article of clothing you would wear in the game, you know, your avatar would have on. Uh, and for many reasons, we probably don't have time to get into it today, uh, once virtual items took on a cosmetic aspect, uh, they became uh, that industry, the video game industry and uh, the virtual items in that industry became much, much bigger from a financial perspective. Lots more people want cosmetic oriented virtual items than they do virtual items that allow you to do something better in a game. And uh, as a result, the video game industry is now probably over maybe 140 or 150 billion annually, uh, globally, where um, 80 or 90 billion dollars of that is um, uh, people who are buying virtual items. So virtual items have really become like the primary revenue model for, uh, for the video gaming industry. Yeah, I, I, so if I think back to when I, I first became aware of some form of digital assets, it's probably around the the early days of Facebook. Um, it, you know, it wasn't even yeah. in the gaming context. I remember there there was this ability to to put stickers on a post, and people were uploading these sticker packs, and it just and you could buy them. You you would buy these packs and and gift them to your friends, and it would just kind of give a more emotive um, reaction to to a post. And now that's all embedded with emojis. Um, but that was a new innovation at the yes. time, and you could pay for these. And I think the thing that just never made sense to me at all um, was why someone would ever actually pay for that, because they were infinitely reproducible. It, you know, there was no scarcity of them. And I think um, I think what, what there's no scarcity of McDonald's hamburgers. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, but I think, in terms of um, in terms of where we are today, um, is the is the real value? Um, is there more value now that we could potentially apply the blockchain technology and distributed ledger techniques to these assets to um, assure gamers users of their scarcity and and um, and, and verify yeah, that they're, say... they're authentic. Yeah, so because I know we want to talk about blockchain and such, uh, here's what I would say: the uh, the video game industry is doing just fine uh, without blockchain and without crypto. Uh, it could do a lot better with it. I would liken it to um, uh, the retail industry, the mail order catalog industry uh, in um, you know pre-internet era. It was doing fine, but it could do a lot better if. Uh, we added some new uh, capabilities. That's what the <clears throat> crypto does. It provides new capabilities for people who want to buy these virtual items. I'll give you a very simple example. A virtual item um, lives only in that particular game. And some people spend lots of money, thousands of dollars, uh, thousands of hours in that game, building up these really... Uh, great collections of virtual items. But if that game ever shuts down, or if they ever get bored of that game, all of that work is gone. 
right? Because they're virtual and because they only live in that game, they're not transportable anywhere else. You could call that a shortcoming, let's say, of the video gaming industry. Uh, it's also a design feature, uh, much like um, Apple likes to uh, have closed systems because they find they don't have to compete with anybody. Video game companies like the idea of, uh, of being the only uh, company selling you virtual items in, in their game. Uh, and they don't have a lot of incentive today for people to take those virtual items and leave the game. On the other hand, consumers, game players, would love the idea of being able to port their virtual items uh, uh, into other games and, and even outside of the game environment entirely. And so that's one element of, uh, of what blockchain can do. Because blockchain, you know, I like to think about it just as another internet. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you can traverse from one e-commerce site to another on the internet. There's no problem. Um, well, in a way, blockchain can allow you to take these digital assets, these virtual items, and move them from one place to another, from one game to another. What I'm, what I'm seeing today is the existing video game companies don't have a lot of motivation to integrate that blockchain capability. So what you're seeing is native blockchain-based companies, you know, companies that, that began as blockchain-based companies, these video games, and they're introducing this concept of buy your virtual items from us, but use them anywhere uh, that they're allowed. And uh, that's one aspect of uh, a sort of blockchain moving into the video game world. But, uh, but how does that gaming interoperability then work? Sorry, it's slightly, off, uh, it's slightly away from the blockchain topic, but how does that gaming interoperability yep. work? How do I turn up from, uh, from, with one thing from one game to another game with another thing? Sure. So in, um, it's all about, you know, in the IT world, we talk about standards-based technology, uh, like, uh, you know, 802.11, Wi-Fi, whatever, Bluetooth. So um, uh, there are different standards uh, in the blockchain world, but you can have a, um, a virtual item that's made on a particular blockchain. It could be mine called Wax. It could be Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And any of those objects, let's say on Wax or Ethereum, uh, can be used in any game that accepts Wax or Ethereum objects. Most of the uh, first generation video games started out with um, Ethereum-based objects because Ethereum, which is a blockchain for your, mm -hmm. for your audience, uh, Ethereum was the first to really popularize the idea of you can have a unique virtual item and um, uh, then people started to say, wow, well, then maybe we could um, make them into game virtual items and we could just accept any objects that happen to have a, um, an Ethereum uh, foundation. And so there are now, I'm going to guess, thousands of games uh, that accept these um, Ethereum objects, and uh, and we're seeing a lot of innovation in that in that area where different blockchains like ours at Wax and others are starting to put uh, more development and more innovation into uh, well, what would video gamers really like in these uh, in these virtual objects? And so uh, uh, the way I see it, when I put on my venture capital hat. Uh, it's almost always the case when a new technology arrives, the incumbent companies, you know, the companies that are already in the market, let's say uh, the retailers of uh, the mid-1990s, they are going to be very hesitant to adopt a new technology because A, they don't know if it's going to be around for long or if it's a fad, and B, they don't know how it's going to affect their business. And so they're very hesitant to introduce new concepts. The companies that tend to introduce them are the ones that are starting from scratch and are maybe inspired by that technology and say, wow, I could compete with these existing businesses if I use this new technology. Mm. And so we, we've seen the very same thing in, in the video game space. Uh, the uh, 
the very first company I think to do this in a popular way was a company called CryptoKitties, and it was a—it's hard to call it a game. It was a very, very basic thing, sort of like those very first generation games you had on uh, Facebook. Uh, but it introduced this idea of oh, these uh, cryptos. Uh, that I thought were just for uh, money and payments, like Bitcoin, uh, can actually take on a different dimension. They can uh, be virtual objects, and they can do something that's always been what I alluded to earlier. It's been sort of the holy grail <clears throat> for video game players, which is they retain the ownership of those virtual items. You know, up until now, you don't own those virtual items in a video game. Actually, you, you license the, the items, uh, much the way uh, a lot of software companies work. Uh, but if you've paid a lot of money for those items and you put a lot of time into uh, uh, building up your item portfolio in a game, a lot of people feel like, wow, we should be able to own them. Uh, and uh, uh, what I foresee is, for now, a, um, uh, an emerging group of games that started out on blockchain, they were native to blockchain, and in a few years, I suspect some of the bigger existing video game companies will start to say, yeah, this looks like it's getting popular, maybe we should start to adopt it. And, uh, you know, by the way, it's the, it, like I said, it's the same in every tech, even in the very same industry. So you had video games uh, years ago that uh, were all done on um, in arcades, and then they became possible to be done on PCs. And then people made what we call flash games or browser-based games. Mm -hmm. And then you had mobile games. And what's always funny to me anyway is every time a new technical uh, capability arrives, the existing video game companies poo-poo it. You know, mm -hmm. they say, oh, those aren't real games. You know, when uh, when uh, video games became possible to be done on, on um, uh, computers, the arcade people said, those aren't real games. And then when you could do a game in a browser, like uh, Farmville, uh, uh, the PC-based gamers said, well, those aren't real games, right? And, and this happened with mobile, too. No one thought mobile games were real games uh, until uh, billions of people started to play them. And now every video game company wouldn't think of doing a game without making it mobile compatible. Uh, I do think this ultimately uh, is... Um, is something that gets adopted. The blockchain, uh, special properties of blockchain get adopted by, by video game companies, but like everything, it takes you know, some period of time. Mm -hmm. Excellent, so um, just picking on a couple of points there, um, William, there's, I was preparing for the interview and just having a, a look into what WAX and, and Opskins does. And I was having a look on the WAX site um, and I was, I was looking at these uh, digital assets and the in-game upgrades and I thought, yeah, maybe it's, I can see why someone would want to enhance um, their, their avatar or their, um, their arsenal and upgrade guns by sort of, you know, $10 or $15, something like that. Um, so I did a reverse search on sort by price. Um, and I saw on the site that there was uh, there was a particular knife on there that uh, for some kind of digital knife for, for I'm not exactly sure what game it was fourteen thousand dollars, and there was a gun a special gun on there for eleven thousand dollars. So I'm just trying to understand what what kind of um, motivation what would motivate someone to spend that much money on on an in-game asset. Um, that's yes, and a huge I'm amount glad. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, uh, but uh, because. Me and my partners and other people in our industry, uh, we've been doing this for so long that uh, we lose sight of the fact that uh, other people, it would look absolutely bizarre. So particularly as you put it, when this, um, this virtual knife, which by the way is not actually a knife, it's just a paint uh, application on a knife. We call these things skins. They're not the object themselves. They're just a way of, of coloring it. Think of it as uh, putting on a different colored T-shirt, right? Um, so what I would uh, the the best way I can I can explain it is this: to a lot of people, particularly the six or seven hundred million people a day 
who play in these massively um, uh, multiplayer online video game worlds, and they are like worlds. There are millions of people who are interacting for hours each day in these places. These people, for many of them, their interactions, uh, their communication, their, their social groups within these video game worlds are just as important as in what you and I would call the, quote, real world. And if we take a look at, like, um, any real world thing, uh, I'm not really into automobiles, right? So I've got, uh, you know, a Lexus, the boring old Lexus. Um, there are friends of mine who have cars that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And on one level, what I say to them is, you know, my car turns, it goes on the, the highway, uh, it uh, takes me to point A to point B, and uh, uh, yours does the same thing, but yours costs five times more than mine. And it's like, yeah, but I feel good riding in that expensive Porsche or whatever. Um, uh, 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 another example I'll give you is precious stones. So uh, someone once said to me, I can't imagine anybody spending, it was like $50,000 for an in-game virtual item. And, uh, you know, what can you do with it? It, it doesn't have any utility. And, and I said, well, you know, you have a nice big diamond on your hand. Uh, uh, does that make you run faster? Does that make you smarter? You know, does that allow you uh, access to some special uh, venues? And of course, she was like, no, you know, it's, uh, wh well, why would someone have spent so much money on that? Well, it's sentimental value, uh, makes me feel good. The vast majority of things in, in, um, in the world uh, have a price that has virtually nothing to do with the utility around them. Virtually nothing. If you look at someone who's wearing $1,000 sneakers, uh, they can spend $10 and get things to cover their feet when they walk. But you know what? They feel better. So think about it that way. Uh, uh, okay. it, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things when the people who never ask me that question are brand managers of fashion-oriented companies because they sort of get that, that, yeah, we, you know, a Rolex watch. I, I don't know all the mechanical aspects of it, but I assume the parts of that watch probably are less than 20% of, of what the retail value is because you're selling a, a lifestyle, you're selling, a, you know, an image. It's the same with virtual items. So uh, that's the reason why. The, the, I don't know the particular virtual item you looked at, but I would gather that it was an item that was quite rare and maybe had, uh, it, it might even have been um, a one of a kind, uh, you know, not just a limited edition. And therefore, you know, what are you going to pay for a one of a kind anything, right? That one of a kind uh, uh, article uh, that might be a, a you know a, a collectible trading card uh, where that might sell for tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, it's mostly because it's special. You can't get another one just like it. Okay, that's that's really helpful. And thank you for the subtle career advice. I shall not be pursuing brand management <laughs> as a career. Um, thank you. Um, so just a slight follow-up to there. So I'm going to go slightly retro here, uh, and, and I may, I may need you may need to course correct me because if I think back to my, uh, I was a uh, grew up in the 90s, uh, N64, GoldenEye, best game probably still to date ever. Um, I'd happily uh, disagree with anybody on that front. But um, James Bond GoldenEye on the N64, there was a special gun on that game, and it was uh, a golden gun level, and that gun had much better uh, ability to uh, eviscerate em enemies it had much better um, targeting uh, focus so if i just um what you just said there is what you're looking at and what you're buying is a skin rather than um, perhaps an asset itself are there also um, actual asset upgrades which give your characters and your avatars better capabilities <clears throat> and does then that and you one thing that you mentioned previously was this interoperability 
and standards across games does that does does the physics of that game transfer to another game um or does it do you just take that investment um via your avatar into a new game which effectively translates to an equivalent value in that game how does that yeah here's what i would say Uh, i tend not to focus as much on that area simply because as i i uh but i'll give you an answer but um uh it's because uh I'm a, you know, I spent my career at the Walt Disney Company. We think a lot about branding, right? Uh, as I, as I commented on earlier, uh, the uh, utility value of something is inconsequential to a lot of video gamers, uh, right? Just like the fact that that, um, uh, you know, Givenchy T-shirt. Uh, maybe the cotton is slightly warmer and softer. Uh, I don't think really anybody cares. They just want to look cool. So, uh, but on to your point. Uh, so this all comes down to interoperability, comes down to what the video game companies choose to do. They, most of them build uh, their games off of um, uh, certain platforms. So Unity, Unity is a... Uh, is the most popular um, uh, game development platform for mobile games. And so you build in what we call the Unity environment. And so if somebody wants to create, a blockchain person, let's say, wants to create a virtual object that could be used in any Unity-based game and would be able to take on whatever physic elements uh, that game designer uh, designed into the game, then that's pretty simple to do, mm-hmm. right? You have uh, uh, basically uh, an SDK, software development kit. Your developers can go and take a look at these objects. They can see how they would work in in their game because these objects were built using the same Unity development platform. And you can turn on or not the special characteristics that that element comes with, or you can just make it strictly cosmetic. You can kind of tune it to whatever you want. So that part of it is quite simple, I would say. You know, it's um, anytime you're dealing with, uh, while Unity isn't an open standard, it is the dominant standard. It would be like um, an Android-based game or a Apple iOS-based game. if you're familiar with that as a developer, you can make a tool that works in any game that uses that software development platform. And uh, how that will happen, I don't particularly know, uh, because I think most video game designers now understand the uh, utility of the object is 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 a secondary to the coolness of it. So there's, uh, for instance, a lot more thinking from an economic perspective when it comes to virtual objects in games than there is from a technical perspective. The technical perspective is almost trivial at this point. Hey, you want that thing to have a, you know, a five power energy capability? Well, mm-hmm. dial it to have five powers. You know, no one, uh, that's very basic. Uh, uh, so the, to, what interests me the most is the economic piece of it. If, if for instance, I will give you the most important uh, economic element to a virtual item, bar none, that is tradeability. The ability to transfer the ownership from one person to another is it. If you look at video games that allow the transfer of an item from one person to another versus those that don't, it's order of magnitude difference in the value of those items. And that makes sense because, you know, if uh, you were to buy an automobile from a car company that said uh, it works great, but you may never transfer ownership, you may never sell it. One, I don't think they would sell many of them, but but two, uh, you wouldn't pay much for it because it's that option to be able to trade it for something else you want. Maybe you have kids and you want more seats. Uh, That provides value to it. Imagine buying a home and not being able to trade it. Uh, So uh, uh, 
those objects that have tradability become much more valuable. And therein lies one of the most powerful elements of uh, blockchain uh, for the video game industry is allowing people to trade with anyone in the world virtually instantly. And uh, the blockchain, as your audience might know, has very nice properties. One of these things we call immutability. That is, once somebody sends something to you, uh, they can't get it back unless you give them permission. Okay. And so, uh, there's a uh, when it comes to what we call in the uh, in the Wall Street world, we call counterparty risk, the risk that uh, you know somebody tries to unwind a trade. Uh, that's impossible in um, in in the blockchain arena, and uh, and I believe will provide a very nice. Uh, added value for uh, for the for uh, for video games and and I should say this is the essence of what Wax does. Okay. Wax makes it very easy for people who have blockchain-based virtual items to trade them. In fact, Wax is the uh, biggest blockchain in the world by order of magnitude for number of trades per day by people who want to you know buy and sell these items. Okay, fascinating. So, where is one of the key questions I have now is: so, where do we go from here? Um, uh, so, we uh, before we uh, where you jumped on the call, we were talking about sort of Ready Player One as a concept, and how uh, is that even feasibly possible? How are we far away from it? Um, yeah. Sort yeah. Of what's, I, what's I, next? I, I, where are we heading? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not joking when I say I tell my my team, my executives that. Uh, Ready Player One is a uh, is a product roadmap for us. It's it's uh, it's a near future event, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it's uh, one aspect of it just occurred uh, in in uh, in Ready Player One. Uh, there is a virtual reality for those people who don't know the game uh, or the movie. It's uh, or the book. <laughs> uh, the book is very good. Uh, uh, this uh, genius has created a virtual world called Oasis, and uh, everybody goes there in their spare time and meets everybody virtually. Uh, but there's this there's this um, uh, connective tissue between the terrestrial world and the virtual world, and you'll see this uh, in some scenes in the movie. Uh, you'll see it more in the book, but where uh, the uh, the characters in the in the virtual world are shopping and they buy, in one case, a guy buys this haptic suit, this special suit, and um, uh, which he wears um, in, the, uh, in the game. Well, uh, when he leaves the game, uh, that gets delivered by like FedEx or whatever uh, to, his, uh, to his house. And um, uh, uh, so in December, uh, we uh, invented a, uh, a new type of, uh, of crypto coin and we called it viral um, in the uh, in the text-based world there's something called uh, there's a, a phrase IRL uh, in real life um, well we put a V as in Victor in front of that phrase IRL uh, and it's viral VIRL so we have created a digital twin of every a real world consumer product, or I shouldn't say every, uh, a certain number. Initially, we uh, bought uh, millions of dollars worth of uh, consumer products, sneakers, for instance. And uh, we then created a digital twin of those and we uh, imprinted them on a blockchain based token. And uh, it took off very, very fast. Uh, we said to uh, uh, people who were on our site, hey, if you would like, you can buy this uh, collectible pair of sneakers and um, you don't have to take physical possession of it. Mm -hmm. You can just take uh, ownership of it with this, with this digital token. And if you want to trade that, there is no boxing up your thing and you know shipping it off. You can trade it instantly. Uh, the very first pair of real-world sneakers we did this to traded 200 times in 24 hours. Now, I can tell you, if you tried to trade a pair of real-world sneakers on eBay 200 times, it would take many years, <laughs> many years. So uh, 
That is one area where uh, the uh, sort of this fantasy of uh, Ready Player One has already occurred. And uh, we had done this earlier, four years ago, my partners and I um, had this idea of taking the U.S. dollar and tokenizing it. And uh, a lot of people didn't get it at first. They're like, but dollars are already digitized. They're in your, you know, your Venmo wallet. Or your, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys don't understand how the banking system works. Uh, the banking system is very slow and expensive. Uh, so um, that we called Tether, which was a dollar tethered uh, uh, to this cryptocurrency. And um, uh, while it took a while for people to get it, today, uh, uh, Tether trades about 1.5 trillion U.S. dollars a year. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, this new Ready Player One-like token called Viral, it's essentially Tether for consumer products. Okay. And I believe that uh, it has broad applicability to, uh, uh, particularly to brands mm -hmm. who understand that their the value of their product is not just the physical components of the product, but it's it's something more. And if we can capture some of those things in a digital form and allow people to move it at the speed of light, which is what's great about digital, uh, your product can be enhanced uh, with smart contracts that, you know, every virtual item is a smart contract. And that just means for your listeners, uh, it can be programmed to do cool things, launch videos, record every transaction that ever happened, uh, uh, provide gifts and promotions by the time, uh, you know, the third person owns it. Really cool stuff. So, Warning you of a, of a, you know, of a, of a warranty uh, about to expire and so forth. Uh, and this has a great applicability to, to the video game world as well. But, but surely then you can what you just talked about is the efficiency that a virtual world has over a, a yes. real world the world that we live in so surely then you can just recreate new financial institutions in a virtual world to get through all of the the legacy stuff that we have to deal with day to day which is yes i like the way you put that new financial institutions in a virtual world that is um sort of blockchain 2.0 Okay. That is where we're going. If you want to look at the, you know, from from uh, the analog world to PayPal, uh, that leap, where now I would I would gather there's there's more people, certainly more people who are coming of age who have a digital wallet. You know, they've got their online mobile banking app uh, as a as sort of a first use. Uh, 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 financial tool over the, the traditional bank. Uh, this is where things are headed. Uh, and I, I like the way you put that, but uh, yeah, it's it's often what happens is, I'm sure you guys experience this, people think blockchain, they think, oh, it's a way to make a payment, uh, right? And um, uh, in the same way, maybe when uh, the internet was first born, people said, oh, I can send email, right? Well, we've come a long way from email to Amazon to, you know, multiplayer online video games. Uh, that's the level of, of uh, change that I foresee in the financial world uh, and in the video game world that's going to be uh, triggered by uh, these um, virtual assets that everybody can directly control. You're, you're, you can think about it when you put a deposit in a bank. Uh, that money gets commingled and it sits somewhere and it's not really sitting in a vault, you know, anywhere. It's sort of uh, with the with the wonders of fractional reserve banking, it's sort of invented money. Well, um, uh, now imagine if you put your money in a bank and you literally have a claim to a little drawer of cash somewhere in that bank. For some people, particularly people in, in, in countries where banking is, is unstable, and that, by the way, is half the world, uh, that's a much more attractive way for them to start being able to take advantage of the digital financial system than having to trust uh, what in many cases are financial institutions that uh, aren't looking out for uh, for their customers. Uh, yeah, it just changes the get. It changes the face of everything. Um, it changes the game. Oh, it does. 
So just- I would say uh, personal finance, yeah. per, uh, personal finance. And there will be, uh, we're working on it now, a, um, a mashup of video gaming and personal finance. Uh, this is where you start to see this, uh, this uh, 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 real magic of what, uh, what seems so simple on its surface, just a, a blockchain which allows somebody to own a digital asset and move it without intermediaries, that basic kind of like boring uh, notion. When, um, when businesses can begin to integrate some of those concepts into their, uh, their product, um, most people will probably never know its origins are blockchain uh, because that part will be hidden in the same way that when you buy something on Amazon, you don't think, oh, Amazon Web Services data center is doing a good job, but it's what's powering it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So just uh, just hear me out on a on a creative concept that m- myself and Stig were um, uh, were discussing just before we started. Is there a possible scenario where if if we assume that Ready Player One type environment works, where you you fuse the um, utility of a, a div- of, of um, digital assets alongside the existing capability and the skins, um, and you layer into this layer it into this new digital. Um, realm is it possible there to for a user or a gamer to invest uh, a certain amount ten thousand dollars in a in a gun or a knife or whatever it may be that has greater utility value as well um across a number of games and then to be able to design smart contracts for other users to lease it from them so that actually they can invest in an asset <coughs> and make it a revenue generating item within that world that gives them real value um, in their bank account their digital uh, sort of bank account whilst they aren't using it say they're at school or at work or, or wherever they may be they're not using that asset for eight to nine hours of the day could it be earning them money um, in other parts of the world where those gamers are active and online and, and using it is that i've thought about this a lot uh and um you know the venture capitalists in me what i always do is i look for a latent desire to do something that were it not for the frictions of everyday life, you would uh, you would partake in, and um, uh, it's happened, right? People through Airbnb took idle property. Uh, you know, they're not going to be in their home for a few days. Maybe we can rent it out. As far fetched as it seemed that anybody would do that, people do. Um, uh, I believe that could happen. This notion of you own digital assets. And somebody could come along and rent them from you. Um, I have not yet found a, a, um, a, a consumer use case where I think um, that would rapidly take off. It's possible, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a new behavior. And, and any time you want to trigger some new economic activity, uh, you you always have to see uh, for whom are the benefits distributed, right? And, and and so if you are someone like an Uber and you're like, well, we'd like people to be able to hail taxis much more easily than hoping and waiting that the guy happens to drive down randomly on your street with your thumb out. Um, you know, they uh, had to build a model where where there was an economic incentive for other parties to partake in that so that a guy with an idle car and time in his hand could show up and drive. Uh, I haven't yet thought of all of the people who would benefit from such a thing. Yes, you could lease your virtual item in a game, um, but uh, there's a lot of people who want to own these things, they want to not just rent the wardrobe, so to speak, but they'd like to have it in their possession or own it. Um, So it'll be a new behavior. My guess is what you just described um, doesn't happen in the near term. Um, And it's going to take some triggering event. Uh, There might be some uh, personal financial element there that would drive it. But um, uh, I don't see it happening in the short term. Uh, people talk a lot about it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I've been doing video games for a long time and, and operating uh, marketplaces allow people to buy and sell their video game virtual items for a long time. And you know, no one has ever asked me, can I rent the virtual item, not buy it? 
Mm-hmm. And that that makes me wonder where the demand is for that. Okay. Now, what I'm hoping is one of your listeners has already come up with the idea and they launch it and uh, that would yet unlock additional value, right? If you can rent something, then it has higher value. We've seen this in Airbnb, places where, um, and where I am in, in Los Angeles, there's uh, places like Santa Monica and Venice Beach, popular tourist areas, uh, homes and condominiums that have a high air and B&B usage have gone up in value. Because they, they, you know, any economist would say, of course, it's a new revenue stream. Um, the same will happen if there is that rental aspect. I just, um, yeah, right now I'm, I'm uh, unable to see what the trigger will be for people to embrace that. It, it, I'm kind of leaving this conversation with I need to work out how to build a virtual bank and potentially a leasing store for weapons, which is quite an interesting way, <laughs> quite an interesting way takeaway from the podcast. You're going to be busy. Um, I know, going to be very busy. And, and the reason that's the reason that's interesting uh, is it's it's what you just said is that is that um, we're when people hear video games, you know, they're like, oh, that's fun and silly and whatever. So, the little pastime, uh, but what they don't think about is how do I make money at this? And the reality is for, for 20 years, there have been uh, millions of people making money, uh, buying virtual items, uh, earning virtual items, and then trading those virtual items across the world. It is a massive uh, uh, tens of billions uh, annually business. Of uh, of trading, it's a it's a commodities trading layer that sits on top of these video games that would you know often the video game uh, players don't even think about it and it's people who aren't even playing the video games themselves who have uh, have made a living a very nice living buying and selling these virtual items in the same way that in the stock market there's people who aren't interested really in holding on to the Walt Disney Company stock, but they know that there's an opportunity to make a little something if they buy it today and they sell it tomorrow. So uh, trading uh, is one of those human activities that I think is just, it's like part of our DNA since societies have been formed, trading has occurred, and trading is the is the is a giant uh, activity of um of video games and virtual items. And uh, uh, I just see blockchain as a much more efficient, lower cost, safer way to uh, partake in trading. You talk to anybody who does cross-border, and keep in mind the majority of these trades are done by people in different countries because they don't know that you're happening, you're in China and I'm in the US. Uh, I don't need to know where you are because all I see is you've offered me an item and I'm going to swap it with another. It doesn't matter where you are because it's digital. Fascinating. Um, Look, it's been amazing talking to you. I'm very, very conscious that uh, we have quite seriously overrun from the time that you wanted to have with us. Um, One last question then just to close. So what's coming up for you in 2019 um, with Wax and Opskins then? So uh, Wax is going to be launching its uh, what we call the protocol chain or this new blockchain, which we have been building now for about a year. Uh, That chain is going to do lots of cool stuff for people in the uh, video game uh, virtual item space. Uh, Wax blockchain is a the first e-commerce uh, focused blockchain. As I mentioned, it's the um, it's the number one blockchain by transaction volume because we uh, one. I'll leave your your listeners with with this. If they're uh, buying um, things in the blockchain world or crypto world, uh, as a VC, what I try to do is I try to look at all of these blockchains and say what is the special nature of that one for why it's needed why uh, uh, it's uh, not redundant. You know, there's a lot of blockchains out there that don't do much more than the other blockchain. And uh, I like to focus on uh, specific purposes. So there's blockchains that are being built around uh, supply chain, a fantastic use for blockchain. Uh, ours is more on, on the e-commerce front. 
and uh, and what we call v-commerce, which is virtual commerce. Um, and so uh, over the next year, we will be layering on tools that because that's what's missing. It really is missing. Uh, a blockchain is nice, but it's like an internet without a browser or an internet and a browser, but there's no websites. So our focus is building that blockchain so that it does things uh, that blockchains do well, but, but a big problem with blockchains is the cost. Uh, we were on Ethereum initially and it nearly bankrupted us. So blockchains can be very expensive, at least the way they used to be designed. Um, the uh, EOS blockchain with delegated uh, uh, proof of stake, I think is the right way to go. It's much faster, much cheaper. Um, and then once you have that, what sort of applications layer on top of it? Viral is one, but you need things like wallets that are easy to use. If you guys have not experienced the joy of trying to use uh, the primary wallet that people use on top of Ethereum, which is called MetaMask, mm. uh, you guys may be more sophisticated than others, but I'm telling you, it's not an easy consumer experience. The primary browser to use the EOS blockchain is called Scatter, very difficult to use. Now to a typical developer, they'll say, what do you mean it's not difficult? There's, you know, it only takes a few seconds. For those of us who are used to really simple, great designed apps, uh, the way you have to interact today with the blockchain is, is missing a lot. And so we are focusing a lot on that, how we can uh, build uh, wallets. We have something called Wax Express Trade that is as simple to use as kind of any typical uh, uh, app you would have. And we're going to have to do a lot more in that area. I, I, I see that for us, building out these service layers on top of blockchains as being where we're going to be putting a lot of energy. And I also, whenever I go to conferences and I talk to people who are engaged in building blockchain-based businesses, I say, guys, you know, the the uh, blockchains like I, you know, modern day internets, uh, those are going to advance as they do from a speed and cost capability. Our our um, uh, our efforts, our imaginations, our uh, innovations should be around enabling the billions of people who want to take advantage of what these blockchains do. And there are many great things. We need to we need to focus on the onboarding. And, um, you know, think about the Internet before uh, uh, the Mosaic browser, which is what Mark Andreessen uh, helped create before he turned that, which was still a little wonky, into the Netscape browser. Uh, it was hard for the mass market to adopt it. Once Netscape browser happened, that was really the, the, the triggering of mass market adoption of, of the uh of the internet. The same is now needed for blockchain. And by the way, I think <clears throat> the industry by which that's going to happen is gaming because gamers are already used to virtual objects. They're already used to trading virtual objects. So they kind of get that. They just need it to be as easy as doing it in a video game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what we're focusing on. Right. Awesome. Look, we've... Um... 100% uh, run over. Look, it's been really, really amazing having you. Um, uh, Dante, has you got anything else to add? No, that was fantastic. Um, uh, William, it's been great having you, and uh, hopefully we uh, look forward to seeing you in the virtual realm soon. Yeah, I'll be in London in, uh, in a few weeks. I don't know where you guys are based. but Yeah, uh, London's good. We'll Stake is on us next time you're here. Definitely do. I will, I will. In a few weeks, I'll be there. Maybe we can grab coffee. That would be That'd fantastic. Be Thank you very awesome. much. And William, if you're listening to this, you are the resistance.